0: Those of you who have heard me speak before know that I I always like to start with a joke to kind of loosen me up and maybe loosen you up too. So I actually have two tonight. I've used them before, but hopefully it's so long ago that you don't remember them and you'll still laugh. The first one is, you do know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men at Jesus' birth. They would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the table. They would have made a casserole. And they would have brought disposable diapers for gifts. There's a lot of truth in that, you know. And the the next one is, <clears throat> there's this young Sunday school teacher lady that was teaching a class of up to five-year-olds. So she was trying to make a point about salvation, and so she's asking the class a question and said, if, if I sold my house and sold my car and had a big garage sale and sold everything I had... And, gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the whole class resoundingly said, no. So she asked, well, if I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and did all the repairs and all that, would that get me into heaven? Again, a resounding no from the whole class. So then she asked, well, then how would I get to heaven? And a loud voice from the back of the class from a five-year-old boy says, you gotta be dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Those of you who've heard me before also probably know that I never know how long I'm gonna talk. Uh, but I got six pages of notes. So I hope you brought a snack or some water or something to help you get through all this. You might get to bed by midnight or so. Seriously, the title of my message tonight is Faith Works Through Love. Faith Works Through Love. And you know, the word faith is bandied around a whole lot. Not just in Christian circles, although it's bandied around a lot in Christian circles, but in the world. Sometimes faith is used as a euphemism for... Your denomination or your religion or whatever. That's not the faith that we know, is it? Well, Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So the title of my message is Faith Worketh Through Love. You know... We all know that God is love, right? We all know that. God is love. So, God is also faith. And he created the worlds and all that is in them by faith. Because when he spoke the word, it was his faith that created all this out of nothing. The world was created out of nothing. Nothing that could be seen touched heard or felt so faith is a pretty important thing so we want to know what faith really is don't we and I'll tell you what I struggled with this faith thing for many many years of Sarah and I's marriage it was such a kind of an amorphous thing to me you know it just i couldn't ever really nail down what it was and whether whether i had it or not so i want to give you a couple of definitions the first one is a biblical one in hebrews 11 1, it says it is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen when god created the world he hoped to make Everything that he created. And his faith was the evidence of of what he was going to create. So he spoke those things into existence. Romans 12.3 says, We are all given a measure of faith. We're all given a measure of faith. I used to think that some people got a bigger measure of faith than I did because I had a hard time holding on to mine. But we're all given the same measure of faith. It's what we do with our faith that causes it to grow or to stay dormant. So, the American Heritage Dictionary describes faith as a confident belief in a truth, value, or trustworthiness of a person, idea, or thing. It is a belief that does not rest on logical proof. It is a loyalty to a person or a thing. And the last definition they gave is it's a belief in or trust in God. And I like that one. I like that one. Without having belief and trust in God... Whatever else we do with the Bible is really meaningless. It profits us nothing if we don't have faith to go with it. If we don't believe God is able to do what he says he'll do and act on that. I want to push that a little further. Um, there, There are a few kinds of faith. One is an experiential faith. You know when you all came in here, you came in and you sat down in a chair, and you had faith that that chair was going to hold you. And the reason you had faith in that chair is because you've sat in chairs before. And you know that chairs are designed and constructed to hold you up, So you had faith in it, you sat right down and didn't even think about it, did you? Didn't even think about it. You just knew that that chair was going to hold you. That's experiential faith. When you get on an airplane to travel somewhere, you have faith in the people that built the airplane. You have faith in the, in the pilot. You have faith in the, in the control tower people and all that kind of thing to get you off the ground and back onto the ground successfully. That's faith. That's experiential faith. Now, maybe if you've never flown before, it might be a little more difficult for you to have faith in all that stuff. But if you've flown a lot, you know it's safer than driving the car or walking across the street. Experiential faith. In my experience in Christianity and all the time that I've been saved, I've discovered that once upon a time, I and a lot of people that I knew in church kind of tried to have faith in faith. Does that make any sense? Just have faith that all you had to do was say you had faith and then everything was supposed to work just the way you you think it's supposed to work. How many of you know that doesn't work? Faith in faith doesn't work. Biblical faith is believing God's Word enough to act upon it. That's biblical faith. If the Word says... If God's word says that something is true, you have to believe it enough to be able to act on that knowledge. That's biblical faith. Uh, when, uh, When Abraham took his son up on the mountain to sacrifice him as an offering to God, God had already told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And if his son died, then there wouldn't be anyone to carry on that and to, be, to uh, populate the world with his offspring. God had told him that his, uh, his progeny would be like the stars of the heavens or sand, sand grains in the sea. So because Abraham had faith in what God had told him, he believed it, God said it to him and he believed it, he believed that even if he sacrificed his son on the altar, that God would find a way to either revive him or cause him to be regenerated or whatever, so that his promise to Abraham could be fulfilled. Trusting or having faith in something or someone comes from intimacy. Intimacy. You know, Abraham had already a long history with the Lord by the time that mountaintop experience took place. God had told him 25 years or 24 years earlier that he was going to have a son. So the son was born, and I don't know for sure how old his son was when this thing on the mountain took place. But you have to be in the neighborhood of 35, 45 years from the time he first heard it until that took place. So over that course of time, he had a lot of time to be intimate with God, to talk to God and have God talk to him over those decades. That's intimacy. I'm going to talk some more about that after a while, but we're going to skip on ahead of here a little bit. Faith is a belief, a trust, whatever, but it's also a tool. You may not think of faith as a tool but it is James two twenty six says for the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also I used to really struggle with that too so if I had faith that God was going to bless me with more money or whatever you know did I just believe that and do nothing or did I believe that and work hard and, and uh, do what I was called to do and expect that God was going to do that that he was going to reward my faith with what I was seeking and I'm happy to tell you that he has through my, my and Sarah's whole married lifetime sometimes it's kind of iffy and he didn't always do things in my time frame, as you know. Uh, just like with Abraham, you know, he, he had to wait a long time to get at the son that God had promised him. But he had faith in God. And I'll tell you a little side story about Sarah and I. This is back in the olden days. and A long time ago, I was working for this company. And... Uh, I had done well, been there a long time, and I was making a really good salary, a six-figure salary, which in those days was a lot more money than it is today. And all of a sudden, pretty much without warning, the company that I worked for got bought out by another company, and they threw all of us out and put their own people in place. And as a result of that, I was technically unemployed for three and a half years and during that three and a half years the most I ever made in a year was $12,000 and you know that may seem like a lot back in 1986 but when you're used to making a six figure salary it ain't much believe me Three and a half years, my wife never had a new dress, new pair of shoes. I don't think he ever had anything new. But we trusted God. And I have to tell you that my faith was never confirmed, never established, until we went through that process and came out the other side with the best job I ever had. But it was real slim pickings for three and a half years. And again, that wasn't in my preferred timing. But he was faithful. We never missed a meal that we didn't want to miss. We always paid all of our bills. We always had enough. Sometimes barely enough. Yeah, we always tithed. Because we believed what the Word said about tithing. And God came through just beautifully. And I believe that if you really believe in him and you really trust him and do what he says to do through that process, that he will always come through. I sincerely believe that with all my heart. So for faith to have value, it has to do something. And works naturally follow faith because if you believe in something, you'll do it. You'll do something with it if you really believe in it. Um, I have a quotation here from somebody. I don't even know who it came from, but it's always stuck with me. Works do not produce faith. Works are the result of faith. Let's think about that a minute. Works do not produce faith. Faith comes first, and then the faith that you have produces the works that you do in order to establish that faith and to, and to make it do what it's supposed to do. That's a really important thing. You know, a lot of people sit around doing nothing and saying that they have faith for God to do this or that, and then when it doesn't happen, they blame God. How many know that God is never to blame? Never. If there's a failure, it's on us. I can testify to that too. (laughs) Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves it is a gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. That's the first example of... Uh, faith working. To be saved, you have to believe what God's Word says about Jesus Christ and Him taking our sins upon Him on the cross and acknowledging Him and receiving Him as your Savior. His part is what Jesus did on the cross and what God asked Him to do and His obedience to do it. Our part is just to believe it and, and receive it. That's the only works that we have to do for faith to work. Everything else is, every other work is produced by that, what that faith developed through that process. Faith connects us to God's ability. Now, I want you to think about that a minute. What is God able to do? Everything, right? Right? Boy, y'all are quiet. That must be pretty dull. But in order for faith to connect us to God's ability, we have to believe that God loves us enough to do for us what His Word says He'll do. And you know, that's the the crux of what happens when we get saved we have to believe what the word says enough to do what the word says to do and it produces every time every time i said earlier that um faith is produced by intimacy with god and i I told you i'd talk more about that later and um The best example that I can give of that in, in, in this world, in this natural world, is my relationship with my wife. We've been married a couple of months, it'll be 56 years, right? 56? Okay, 56 years. And over that period of time, we have become more and more connected to each other. We're kind of joined at the hip, if you know what I mean. Uh, I'm less without her and she's less without me but together we're strong our faith is strong we help each other build our faith and that's happened over a period of time by communication by going through experiences together and by having children together and watching them grow up and have grandchildren and have great-grandchildren and, and all the processes that go with that, we have become so intimate over, the, over that time that we're just we're two faces of, of each other. Um, and in order for our faith to grow, that's what we have to do with God. We have to be intimate with God. And you become intimate by spending time together, by communicating, by listening, by sacrificing, by doing what, you know, I like to do what my wife wants to do. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we're, we're going to go somewhere to eat or something like that. And, and I want her to choose where we go and she wants me to choose where we go. And that just goes back and forth sometimes for half a day. Finally, we come to a, to a consensus, and we, we both are happy then. So that's intimacy, intimacy and that's how it happens. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you same, seven things that you have to know to experience the God kind of faith you can only know these things by being saved and having a relationship with the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. I've lived almost 82 years and I've seen just about all sides of this coin and I can tell you there is no other way. You have to know, not believe, just believe. You have to know. You know there's a difference between believing and knowing? There really is. And you have to know these things. Number one, you have to know the integrity of God's Word. You have to know the integrity of God's Word. Hebrews four 12. I'm going to go through these kind of fast because I only got about 15 minutes left, 20 minutes. And I got a lot of scriptures here. And you might want to just write the address down and go check it out later to see if I told you the truth. Hebrews 4:12 says, "For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the, of, of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." That's a description not only of what the word is, but what the word does. The word does if we receive it and meditate on it and use it it does things it does things inside you and it does things outside you so that's the first thing you have to know you have to know it you have to know it so deeply that nobody can ever talk you out of it you know there have been a lot of times in my life when I thought I knew something. But something would come along and talk me out of it. Either a person or an event or whatever. And I would be talked out of it. I wouldn't believe it anymore. You have to know this. Beyond any shadow of a doubt. That God's word is what God's word says it is. There's no other way. Number two. That you would have to know. You have to know the reality of our redemption in Christ Jesus. That may sound like a strange statement, but there are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, claim to be saved. In fact, there's, 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 there's a guy that's running for president who claims to be a Christian and he's homosexual. So that's an example of somebody who claiming to be saved but don't do what the word says to do. We have to do it. Know the reality of our redemption in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have uh, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Um, (laughs) That's one of those, redemption is one of those Christianese words that you here thrown around in Christian circles a lot and a lot of times it's thrown around they don't even know what it means it means that you've been redeemed you've been bought you've been paid for somebody has paid for your redemption again back in the olden days there was a thing called s green stamps yeah, Darby, I know you know about these. Uh, and what they were was they were stamps that when you go buy groceries, they would give you so many stamps for every dollar you spend. And they gave you little books where you'd lick the stamps and paste them in these books. And then they had what they called redemption centers where they had toasters and skillets and all kinds of stuff in there that you could go buy with these stamps. So they called them redemption centers. So when you took your stamps in there and you bought your toaster or whatever you bought with those stamps, you were redeeming that toaster. You were paying for it. That's what redemption is. Jesus paid the cross for our redemption, paid paid the cost for our redemption, redemption on the cross. And God also paid for our redemption because it was his idea to send Jesus, his son, his only son, to the cross that we might be saved. It's a pretty high price he paid, but it redeemed us. Praise the Lord. Number three, know the reality of the new creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for the good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. We we, We have to know. Not just understand, we have to know that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become a new creation. And it can't just be something that you believe, it has to be something that you know. Beyond any shadow of doubt, that nobody can ever talk you out of it. And when you're in that position, you can overcome anything. Number four, know that we are the righteousness of God through Christ. It's a big deal. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. for many years of my saved life I never felt righteous ever not when I was in church not when I was praying not when I was serving I never felt righteous because I knew my past and it wasn't pretty so we have to know that God chose to make us righteous if we're saved through His Son we're, we're righteous through Him not because of what we've done or are going to do or are doing now but because of what we did when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior that bought us righteousness from the past from the present from the future forever there's no substitute for that so you have to know that And I didn't know it. Well, that's not totally true. I believed it, but I didn't know it. So in those days, every time I did something wrong, something that was a sin, I thought I had to start all over again to get righteous. And that's not true. That's not true. You are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Number five. We have to recognize, by recognizing, know, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This, too, is something that I didn't understand for a long time. That when we get saved, we're not just a new creation in ourselves. But we are a new creation because God lives in us through his Holy Spirit. He's there all the time. All the time. Not just when you're praying. Not just when you're reading the word. Not when you're just doing Christian things. He's there all the time. And if we'll listen, he'll talk to us. have to brag on my wife a little bit she has the most intimate relationship with the holy spirit of anybody that i've ever known except maybe our pastors and what did i do in the middle Yeah. okay they have to they have to educate me here because i don't do this often enough to know what i'm doing Where was I? Oh, yes. Yes. My darling wife. And she helps me communicate with the Holy Spirit in a number of ways. Through example, first of all. But secondly, by reminding me that I need to talk to the Holy Spirit sometimes. This may sound strange, but I really don't like doing what I'm doing right now. I really don't like doing this. and The reason I don't like doing it is because I never feel adequate at it. It's a feeling. I know that we're not supposed to go by our feelings, but it's a feeling that I'm never really adequate at it. So I don't like doing it. So my wife reminds me frequently when I'm fixing to speak that uh, what I need to know is already in me through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that helps me. It helps me a lot when she reminds me of that because when she does, then I start putting all those doubts aside, you know, and I start talking to the Holy Spirit and, and he builds me up. So it's really important that we recognize that in ourselves that it's ours, it's given to us, it's a gift and it belongs to us and we need to communicate with him and listen listen let's see, that was five, so six. Oh, scriptures 1 John 4, 4 you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world he that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. And I've seen that demonstrated in Sarah and I's lives so many times that we know it. We know the Holy Spirit in us is greater than anything the devil throws, tries to throw at us. And we've been a few, through a few things. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. That's something that we need to remind ourselves of every once in a while. I'm not my own, I belong to God. I'm His property. (laughs) Once upon a time, I was a slave to sin, and now I'm a slave to God through the Holy Spirit Uh, number 6 know that fellowship with the Father is real I don't know if that was mine or not know that fellowship with the Father is real I have struggled with that at times You know, in my early years as a Christian, I have a very factual, uh, logic-seeking mind, (laughs) my wife can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it really was difficult for me to recognize and to embrace the fact that that was the case. First John 1, 3 says, that, that which we have seen and heard, we declare it to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I, I'm just telling myself, I have a tendency to talk to Jesus more than I talk to the Father. And that's not what we're instructed to do. We're supposed to talk to the Father through Jesus Christ. Remember that? That's what we're supposed to do. So I have a tendency of not doing that. So I have to watch that. I'm preaching to myself here. Um, Number seven. We have to understand or know the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. And if we don't exercise that authority, we'll never really know that we have it. It's one thing to know in your head, you know, I have authority in Christ. But unless we exercise that, we'll never really know it. We might believe it, but we'll never really know it. There's a big difference between knowing and believing. John 14:13 and 14 says, and whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Okay, those are the seven things that we have to know. So the next question is how do we develop the God kind of faith? How do we develop it? And i got just a little bit more to go here and we'll be done. We develop the God kind of faith by first spending time in the Word. There is no substitute for that. You have to be in the Word. You can't believe what you haven't been exposed to. And the more you're exposed to it, the more you can believe it. So, spending time in the Word. Number two... By sitting under the teaching of the word on a consistent basis. You've heard me speak that before. If you look around, the people that we have here tonight are the core of this congregation. These are the people who are committed to sitting under the word on a consistent basis. Not just coming in on Sunday and sitting for a few minutes you know, and and hearing the word a little bit. And then going out the door and forgetting what they heard. One reason it's important to do this on a consistent basis is because when Pastor Burt preaches and teaches, he is repetitive. You know, he uh, a while back he did uh, some um, sermons on on series that he had preached before, a year or so before, and it took a lot of the nuggets out of those teachings and and preached them again and that was great we learn things we people learn things by repetition they used to call it when I was in school they said it was by rote I never really understood what rote was but it's really just repeating it over and over and over And we have to sit under the Word on a consistent basis because we build on what we're taught. We build on what we learn from one service to the next. And it doesn't all connect instantly, but over time, if you'll be consistent, it really will benefit your spiritual life. It really will. Number three, by praying in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Jude 20, not chapter 20. Jude only has one one chapter, so it's Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to utilize the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in us by praying in tongues. Um, Sarah and I in our married life have attended a lot of different churches and a lot of the ones that we attended didn't believe in tongues. So never heard it for years and years. But one church that we belong to, we got got introduced to the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and we've been doing it ever since. And there's a lot of benefit from it. You know, if somebody hears you, they'll think you're just talking gibberish, you know, and it has no meaning and all that. And speaking for myself, it doesn't, usually doesn't even have meaning to me in my mental part. But in my spiritual part, I'm speaking to God and he's speaking to me. So when I I speak in tongues, I'll speak in tongues for a little bit and then I'll be quiet. And give the Holy Spirit a chance to talk to me. You know, you can't listen and talk at the same time. Well, take that back. A lot of women can. They really can. If you get it, if you get in a restaurant or something and you've got four or five women around the table, they're all talking at once and they all know what each other's saying. I don't know how they can do that. That's the ultimate exhibition of multitasking, I think. Anyway, I can't do that. Okay, and then lastly, by meditating on the word, by meditating on the word, I was listening to, I don't know if you ever heard of Adrian Rogers, he's a really great old preacher from Florida, has one of the nicest preaching voices I ever heard, he's dead now, but they still play his his uh, recorded messages and, and I was listening to it on radio in my truck and he was talking about sheep and he was talking about how sheep you know cows have seven stomachs or whatever it is but sheep have two he was talking about how sheep eat grass and then the shepherd takes them to a, to a place where they can lay down and, and rest and when they do that they regurgitate what they ate And they chew the cud. You know, they chew it up fine until it actually is liquid and goes through their system. And he was comparing that process that they take to meditating on the word. If we will take what we hear or what we read and regurgitate it and chew it again and swallow it, regurgitate it, chew it again he said that that process that they go through when they're doing that, when they're laying there, relaxing, chewing a cud, that that's the most productive time for their body to produce wool and to produce fat. And if they're, you know, if they're lactating, to produce milk. It's the most productive time. So when we're meditating the word, that's, sometimes the most productive time that we have in the Word. It's when we get the most out of it, when we just bring it up and bring it up and bring it up. Sarah and I have some confessions that we do every night and have been doing it for, I don't know, how many years? long, long time. And what we're doing when we do that is we're regurgitating that Word and we're meditating on it as we do it. And it produces for us, so I encourage that. Okay. Uh, Joshua one eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in the in the law, written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's a promise. If we'll do it, it's a promise. Because all of God's promises are what? Yes and amen, right? Okay, I'm going to close with this and then I've got a confession I want to stall me. Faith only works by understanding God's love for us and believing in His love enough to do what, it, what His Word says I can do. I wish I'd have thought up that statement on my own, but I didn't. I plagiarized it. Romans 838 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, I want you all to repeat this after me. This is a good confession. Father, I believe that your word is true and trustworthy. I believe that I can do all your word says I can do. I believe I can have all that it says I can have. And I believe I can be all that your word says I can be. Lord, help me, Lord, help me. To, fully your love for us to fully comprehend your love for us through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. And, to and to act accordingly. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you for your attention.